and welcome everybody in the precious and wonderful name of Jesus. Amen. Wasn't this a wonderful song we just sang? Yes. Because he lives. That means nobody can kill God. Although Nietzsche said, and I suppose everybody knows who Nietzsche was, he was a German philosopher and a strong God-hater. And um, he made this phrase, God is dead. And somebody heard it and said, God is dead. He said, can't be. Can't be. I just talked to him. He is not dead. He is alive. Amen? Hallelujah. And we just talk to him. We just praise his name. Jesus is alive. Welcome, everybody, in the wonderful name of Jesus. Who knows what day it was on the 31st of October? What was it? Reformation Day. Don't, don't think about the other stuff. Halloween and all that garbage. No, did you know it was in the year of 1516, exactly on this day, when a young monk, Dr. Martin Luther, and he read the book, the Bible, and he read Romans, and when he read Romans, he understood that Jesus Christ died for me. He was a Catholic. And then when he understood this, he gave his life to Jesus and committed his life to Jesus. And then he studied the word of God. And on the day, the 31st of October, 1516, he wrote 95 theses on a huge page. He went out in front of the church where he was ministering in Wittenberg in Germany and he took some nails and nailed these 95 theses on the door that everybody who would enter the church could read. And there were some very important things. And I think we all know that. That we have the Bible now in Germany, we can thank for it that Dr. Martin Luther translated the Bible. In those days, there was no real German. Everybody in every area spoke a kind of German. But Dr. Martin Luther, he actually created the German language. So when you go to Germany, whether South Germany or North Germany, you can speak very clear the so-called Hochdeutsch, the High German. Everybody would understand it. Not only this, but he brought the scripture, the Bible, alive Again, and there are three so-called solos. 
You know what a solo is? A solo is something, something somebody sings. How many people do we need for a solo? One. So, and he expresses in this way, and all the Christians who believe in the Bible, they know this expression, and there are five solos I want to say this morning. Solo scriptura. Anybody understands a little bit Latin? Solo scriptura. That means only the Bible, only the scripture. Not the things what the Pope in Rome would say. No, only the Bible. Solo scriptura. Solo Christo. That means Christ alone. It's a pity that my dear brother James is not here. He loves this song so very much. Give him my regards when you come home. I remember him. Christ alone, Christ alone. He likes this song. Solo fidele. Only by faith, not by works. And solo gracia. That means only by grace. And grace alone. And then the fifth great solo is this. Solo Deo Gloria. Do you understand what it means? It means only to God is all the glory and honor. And that was what Martin Luther made it very clear on the 31st of October in Wittenberg in Germany. And so we celebrated this, and I thought people might know. People in the world only think of Halloween. The Americans are very great in that. And it's actually a devil's fest. has nothing to do with the Bible. Demons are going to be worshipped, and all the evil things, now on, I think it was on Friday, my wife and I, we went to the shopping center and the wives are so happy if the men come along. Is it right, all you women, is it true, yes or no? No. Why not? Are we bothering you, all your wives? Why? Oh, I know. It gets boring for us, Pastor. Gary, isn't it? It gets boring for us. So we were in Eastland, and Ella said, you can sit down. There was a bench, and she wanted to go somewhere. I sat down, and on the right side of me, there was an elderly lady, and she had just a double cone of ice from Wendy's or so. And uh, I want to be uh, polite. And I said, said to her, enjoy your ice cream. I said, yes. And we came a little bit into a conversation. And she said, I've seen something horrible today. And he said, I saw a man made his lips red with a lipstick. Have you ever seen that? 
a woman with a beard and lipstick. Now we know what it is, this so-called agenda thing. And I said, this world is horrible. This world goes down the tube and judgment is going to come. That's what the Bible says very clearly. It was even worse in Sodom and Gomorrah. And God announced judgment and he didn't pass by Abraham. He went to Abraham. We read it there in the Bible. And he told him what happened, that judgment is going to come. And we know the story, Abraham was bargaining with God, but if there are 50 righteous people, will you still burn and condemn this place? And then Abraham thought, well, perhaps it's a little bit high. And if there are only 45, he bargained down with God to five people. If there would be five people, righteous ones, in Sodom and Gomorrah, we all know the story. Will you then? And there were not five righteous people at all. And I spoke to this lady yesterday, or on, on Friday rather, and I said, the Bible says, inasmuch as it is appointed for man to die once. When God makes an appointment, be sure this is going to happen. It is appointed for men. That means for every human being to die once. And then judgment will come. This was in my heart and I think it was yesterday morning I said to Ella, something I discovered in this word, and this is a scripture written in Hebrew chapter 9.27, inasmuch as it is appointed for man to die once, and after this comes judgment. I was consumed by this thought, and all of a sudden, in the morning, on Saturday morning, I said, Ella, the Lord showed me something. It is appointed for men to die once. And the Bible speaks of another death as well, the second death. And that is not appointed for men, did you know? Hell is appointed for Satan and his angels, not for men. You actually have one death and that is then when our physical life comes to an end. And then we stand before God. But if we are not born again, if our sins have not been wiped away by the blood of Jesus, then we go into the second death, and you can read it very clearly. And Jesus spoke about as well in Matthew chapter 25, verse 4. Then he will also say to those on his left, 
Depart from me, accursed ones, into the eternal fire, which has been prepared for the devil and his angels. Hell is not being prepared for you. Hell has been prepared and appointed for Satan and his angels. If you are on the side of Satan, of course, you will end up there. But if you are on the side of Jesus, because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, I will live too. Amen? Hallelujah. I will live too. The day might come where one day I might draw my last breath. I don't know. And people will say, well, Pastor Werner has died. Don't believe it. I just took off my body. But I'm alive then more than ever before. Hallelujah. That's the hope we have in Jesus Christ. And that's so important. And I want to continue this morning with my series, Christ in the book of Acts or on the traces of Paul. And I'm going to read the scripture in Acts chapter 21. Acts chapter 21 from verse 1 to 14. When we had parted from then and had set sail, we ran a straight course to Kos, and the next day to Rhodes, and from there to Patara. And having found a ship crossing over to Phoenicia, we went abroad, or abroad and set sail. When we came in sight of uh, Cyprus, leaving it on the left side, we kept sailing to Syria and landed at Tyre. For there the ship was to unload its cargo. After looking up the disciples, we stayed with them seven days, and they kept telling Paul through the Spirit not to set foot in Jerusalem. When our days there had ended, we left and started on our journey, while they all with their wives and children escorted us until we were out of the city. After kneeling down on the beach and praying, we said farewell to them, to one another. Then we went on board to the ship, and they returned home again. When we had finished the voyage from Tyre, we arrived in Ptolemais, and after greeting the brethren, we stayed with them for a day. On the next day, we left and came to Caesarea, and entering the house of Philip, the evangelist, who was one of the seven who stayed with him, or we stayed with him. Now this man had four virgin daughters who were prophetesses. As we were staying uh, there for some days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. And coming to us, 
He took Paul's belt and bound his own feet and hands and said, This is what the Holy Spirit says. It is in this way. The Jews of Jerusalem will bind a man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hand of the Gentiles. When we had heard this, we as well as the local residents began begging him, that means Paul, not to go to Jerusalem. Then Paul answered, What are you doing, weeping and breaking my heart? For I am ready not only to be bound, but even to die at Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. And since he would not be persuaded, we felt silent, remarking, the will of the Lord be done. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the great hope we have in Jesus Christ. I thank you for this meeting, Lord, and I thank you this morning that your spirit is here. I thank you, Lord, that your word is true, and we can stake our life upon your word. Hallelujah. You never, ever disappointed anyone who puts his faith in Jesus Christ. And whoever is here, Lord, and puts his faith in Jesus Christ, you will not disappoint him or her. Lord, we thank you for the wonderful faith in Jesus Christ. And I pray, Lord, give grace to speak your word this morning. Give grace to listen to your word. And also, I pray, give grace to act upon your word in the wonderful, precious name of Jesus. Amen. Hallelujah. Jesus is alive. Now, I have to switch over. Was I on? Okay, then it's all right. Yeah, okay. Thank you. Now, what is it about Jerusalem? Paul had in mind to go back to Jerusalem. And everybody said, don't, don't go to Jerusalem. You went there, didn't you? Yes. But everybody who was there in Paul's near environment said, don't, 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 don't go there. Because there was something happening to Paul. And through the Holy Spirit, there was a revelation that Paul will be bound and he will be sent over up to the Gentiles and handed over to the Gentiles. Now, Paul was determined to go to Jerusalem as his master was determined. And you know who's ma who was his master? Jesus Christ. He is my master. He was Paul's master. He is your master if you believe in Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Now, Jesus had put his mind to go to Jerusalem. And we read in Matthew chapter 16, verse 17, and in a few verses before, when Jesus had his disciples around him, and he said, now, uh, can you tell me, paraphrase, can you tell me, what do people actually think of me? 
What do you think who I am? Who? Who am I? And some say, oh, some say you are the prophet. In one way they were right because when Israel thought of a prophet to come, it was a prophet like Moses because Moses prophesied very clearly in Deuteronomy. A prophet like me, God will raise up from amongst your brethren. They knew there is a prophet going to come. Could it be that perhaps this Jesus from Nazareth is the prophet that Moses was talking and prophesying about? And he said, listen to him. That was Moses said. Now who is this man? And all of a sudden, Peter, he said, he said, you are Christ, the son of the living God. In the spirit of the moment or in the moment of a spirit of God, it was clear in his heart, this Jesus is not any prophet, not Jeremiah, not Elijah, whatever. This Jesus is the son of the living God. He is the Christ, the son of the living God. And what did Jesus say then? And Jesus said to him, we can read in Matthew chapter 16, verse 17. I have to make a little pause. My wife said, well, now when you read the scripture out, then you don't give enough time. Is it true? Have I ever done it in the past? Anybody remember that I called the scripture and then didn't wait till everybody could have it? Yes? Thank you very much. My wife was right. One score for you, Ella. Now I want to wait a little bit. Matthew chapter 16, verse 17. Are you there? Jesus said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona or Simon Jonasson. That is in Swedish expressed. Because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. Peter didn't do it. Good on me. I was right. No, it was revealed by the Holy Spirit, by the Father in heaven. This so-called, others called him a prophet. This stranger from Galilee. It is Jesus, the Son of God. And Jesus said it clear, Peter, it was revealed to you by, this, by the Father in heaven. We need a revelation to understand who Jesus is. Now, he said, said such a great statement about Jesus. And verse 22, or 20 and 22, and we read a little bit further in Matthew 16. Should I wait, or do you have still the scripture open? Yeah, okay. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised the third day. Peter took him aside, began rebuking him. 
When Peter heard this, what Jesus said, he took him aside. Master, may it never happen. Or he said, may God forbid it, Lord. This shall never happen to you. There was somebody in the circle of Jesus who was against Jesus to go to Jerusalem. The same thing it was with Paul. He wanted to go to Jerusalem, and everybody said, don't go, don't go. Because through the Spirit of God, it was shown that he is going to suffer in Jerusalem. And he knew about these things. Jesus clearly didn't yield to the outside influence or interference of other people not to go to Jerusalem. Jesus went to Jerusalem. So Paul, as a disciple of this Jesus, he didn't listen to them who said, don't, don't go. And we see here a few um, things. Now there was a church in Tyre. Paul sought for it. And we see Paul had to decide, when I come to a place, I have to find out whether there is a church. What do you do when you go on holiday? When you go on holiday. Okay, now at the beach, I'm, I'm relaxing. It is Sunday morning, I'm relaxing. Ella and I, when we were on holiday in a place here in Australia, Narumbula. Is that a place you know? Narumbula. Yes, and, and we said, well, we want to go to church. And we found out there is a church, and we went there. So it's good to seek a church when you're on holiday. Don't make holiday from Jesus. Can I hear an amen? amen. Don't make holiday from Jesus. Make holiday with Jesus. Hallelujah. That's so important. Now, so that was Paul's idea. He was on a holiday, but in this place there, he said, I want to find a church. And he found the brethren there, the Bible says. Paul, he didn't know who founded the church. And the Bible doesn't say it either. Entire. Now this church was a family church. Who is able to explain me what a family church is all about? Have, have you ever heard it from churches that we are a family church? What does it mean, a family church? Huh? What does it mean? This was a family church. A family, of course. But what do I find here in this family church? In verse 5, we can read it. When our days there were ended, we left and started on our journey while they're all with wives and wives and children. escorted us, we were out, or when we were out of the city, after kneeling down in or on the beach, 
and praying, we said farewell. Can you imagine a prayer meeting on the beach? Volleyball playing. That's uh, understandable. Now here, the church was so formed. We follow all, the whole family, the oldest son to the youngest sister. We go with Paul. And what did he do? It wasn't the young boy, he was a sports boy, he said, oh, mom, I'm going to take the volleyball with me. No, 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 no volleyball. Oh, I've got these frisbees, I already called them, these sticks. No. When they came to the beach, what did they do? They knelt all down. Do you know what kneeling means? Similar to that, what I do now. This is kneeling. And I could imagine, because the ship had to be unloaded and then again reloaded, because these were cargo ships. And perhaps, I could imagine, a hundred meter further away from the pier where the ship was anchored or made fast, the workers from, ship, from the ship, they all brought the cargo down. And then they looked a little bit over there. What did they see? A bunch of kneeling families. Do you know what it looks like? A bunch of kneeling families. This church was a praying church. Parents bring your children to prayer meeting. I have attended many, 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 many prayer meetings. A teaching church is good. A prayer conditioned church is better if we kneel before God and pray. If we kneel before God and pray, something's happening. Now we see, and I must say, I've been many prayer meetings, and also as a pastor, the Lord willing, I was always in every prayer meeting. Of course, when I am in Europe, I couldn't be there. But I'm always there, and I just want to encourage everyone to come to prayer meeting. It was in a prayer meeting when I got baptized in the Holy Spirit. Hallelujah. Is this word uh, something you could understand? A waiting meeting, prayer meeting, where you pray and waited for the baptism in the Holy Spirit. I was baptized in the Holy Spirit with speaking in other tongues as the Spirit gave utterance. Can I hear an Amen. Amen, hallelujah. That can happen to your children too. Now they were all on their knees there. And Paul, I could imagine, in the center, because they all loved him. Because they saw he as a man who loves Jesus Christ and the joy of the Lord went out from him. You can see whether somebody is happy or sad. 
You can see of, of, uh, whether somebody is joyous in the Lord or not. Now, then they said farewell to each other. The cargo was all in the ship again, and then they went into the boat, and they came to another place, Caesarea. They made a stop over in Caesarea. Now, in Caesarea, there was Philip the evangelist, just a little bit that you know who Philip was. Philip was one of the deacons from Jerusalem, you know, who were in charge for the deacon work in the church. But he became an evangelist. Hallelujah. It doesn't matter if you are just a deacon or a normal member in the church. And as you love the Lord Jesus, and if the Lord sends you to preach the gospel, go ahead, preach the gospel in the name of Jesus. And that's why it's so important. I believe every member in the church should become an evangelist. I was last Sunday there, and I haven't been for, for a number of months or years uh, out on the street, but I determined to go today also with the young people to the streets and handing out tracts and listen to them preaching the wonderful gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, Philip, he was an evangelist. And uh, we know about Philip. He did his first evangelistic outreach in a city so-called Samaria. Acts chapter 8, verse 5. I'm going to wait a little bit. I remember what my wife said. I'm going to wait a little bit. Have you got it? Acts 8, verse 5. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and began proclaiming Christ to them. And he was preaching the gospel. And Samaria, many, many people came to Jesus Christ. Why do we preach the gospel? In order that people might understand they have to come and can come to Jesus Christ and receive Jesus as their personal Savior. Not only that, he had a wonderful revival in Samaria, and all of a sudden, the Spirit of God spoke to him and said, go to the street that goes down to Gaza, to the lonely street. Go there. And he saw a carriage coming along. The finance minister of the Queen Candace from Ethiopia, he was passing by, and you heard he was something reading in his coach. And he said, well, uh, he ran after this carriage. Do you understand what you're re reading? How should I, he said, if there's nobody to explain it to me? And you read Isaiah, the Bible says very clearly, now Philip went and preached Jesus Christ wherever he had the opportunity. And this Philip brought this man, this finance minister from Ethiopia to Jesus Christ. 
Now, in the meantime, when Paul met Philip, Philip was most likely married by then. He, had, he was married and he had four daughters. There's a blessing. Fathers and mothers. Four daughters. And all these daughters were prophetesses. They were able to prophesy. Now, and Philip was there as well. And he had a prophet as visitors with him. And his name was Agabus. Now, this prophet Agabus knew that Paul is going to Jerusalem. And God spoke to him. And he acted something out what the Holy Spirit would say. And we read it very clearly. Agabus was actually a well-renowned prophet in those days. In Acts chapter 11, verse 28. Have you got it? One of them named Agabus stood up and began to indicate by the Spirit that there would be certainly a great famine all over the world. And, his, and this took place in the reign of Claudius. So his prophecy was fulfilled. The Bible said it took place. When there's a prophecy, it must be fulfilled and take place. Otherwise, it was a false prophecy. Now, on this, Agabus was here together, perhaps in a family room from Philip. And he had an inspiration by the Spirit. And we read there in verse 11, still chapter 21. And coming to us, took Paul's belt and bound his own feet and hands and said, This is what the Holy Spirit says. In this way the Jews at Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him to the hands of the Gentiles. Remember, he was a renowned prophet. It was not a prophet from somewhere and prophesied something. No, he was a real prophet and his prophecy had been proven. So we see here, when he had prophesied these things, we read verse 12. When we had heard this, we as well as and to local Residents began begging him, that means begging Paul, not to go to Jerusalem. Don't go. This is going to happen to you. What was Paul's response? Oh, I didn't think that could happen. No. Listen what Paul says. Then Paul answered, What are you doing Weeping and breaking my heart, I am ready not only to be bound, but even to die at Jerusalem 
for the name of the Lord Jesus. Do you understand here what a dedication to Jesus? What a dedication to Jesus. Now we had the voices of the martyrs uh, representative here last Sunday. And we got a DVD and what our dear brother mentioned before, it's true. This brother Richard Wormbrand, I heard him speaking just when he came out of Romanian. He was speaking in Bremen, where then in that time lived in Germany. We went there. And what these people went through was horrible, horrible, horrible. Now, Paul heard these things, similar things. What did he say? Um, better I change my mind. No, like these martyrs, our dear brother and his wife and his son were determined for Jesus to live and even to be martyred. I remember from youth meetings when I was a young pastor. Do you understand I once was young too? Yeah? So, and we had sometimes in our youth meeting question time. And a question would put, and everybody got a little piece of paper and write the answer. What would you do when you would know Jesus Christ is returning tomorrow? Have you ever thought of this question? What would you do? Some wrote, I would pray the whole night through on my knees. Others said, I would start reading the Bible more and more till the Lord comes. What would you do? Now, these people who got martyred for Jesus' sake, they didn't dwindle around and say, well, I think I changed my mind. No, they were consecrated for Jesus and they suffered horrendous things. Now, Paul, was he stubborn when he said, no, I'm going? Because everybody was begging him, don't go to Jerusalem. And Paul says, well, what are you doing weeping and making me, my heart heavy? He said, I'm prepared even to die in Jerusalem, not only be bound. And then it says, and since we were not able to persuade him, we felt silent, remarking, oh, the will of the Lord will be done. This is consecration unto the Lord. That you say, my life is in the hands of the Lord. Paul had to go to Jerusalem for two reasons. Number one was this, as he was in all the other churches and founded some churches in Greece, Macedonia, and other churches. 
They gave him some money for the people, for the church in Jerusalem, because they were suffering. There was a famine in the land. Remember, somebody prophesied from a famine. Remember, it was Agabus. There was a famine, and the people in Jerusalem were poor. And the Gentile churches, who were no longer Gentiles, but Christians by then, they collected money and gave it to Paul, bring it to the people, to the church in Jerusalem. That's why it's also important that we remember the persecuted church. Also financially, also financially, if you earn a good money, ask the Lord how much you perhaps could do for the work of the voice of the martyrs or Barnabas fund or things like that. Then Paul had a second reason. Why to go to Jerusalem? He wanted to show how much he loves the Jewish people. And we read it in Romans chapter 3, I think it is. Romans chapter 9, I'm sorry. The verses 1 to 3. And we see here the attitude of Paul towards Israel. Verse, chapter 9, verse 1. I'm telling the truth in Christ. I'm not lying. My conscience testifies within me in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and unceasing grief in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were accursed, separated from Christ for the sake of my brethren, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. In other words, Paul says, well, if it would help, if it would help, I rather wanted to be upside or away from Christ, a curse. If only my brother, friend in the flesh, the Jews, if they only could believe in Jesus Christ. He wanted to show the Jews in Jerusalem that he loves them. And also Jews in Jerusalem needed salvation. And that's important. Let's pray for our brothers and sisters in our families, our relatives, that like Paul says, and he was anxious, he wanted them to come to Jesus Christ as well. That was the main reason he was not stubborn. No, no, no. He had in his heart some, something very clear. I must go to Jerusalem and also preach the gospel there. There was a 13-year-old boy, and let me give his name, Timmy. And he was dedicated to donate blood for his younger sister. She needed a blood transfusion. 
And a doctor who conducted this transfusion, he connected everything. And after a while, Timmy got very pale in his face. Face. The doctor said, Jimmy, or Timmy, are you ill? No, why? You get so pale in your face. And he said, Doctor, I'm just curious. When will the moment be that I will die? Doctor, dying? Yes. Just, Timmy, didn't you know just spending or the note, uh, donating blood for your sister, it doesn't let you die. You are giving blood to her. But were you prepared to die for your sister? He said, yes. Jesus gave his life for us. And this answer, yes, was so powerful for this doctor. Paul had this desire that all the Jews, his relatives, would get to know Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Lord, we are here in your presence. I thank you for everyone who's here. And I thank you that you love each and every one. I thank you, Lord, that you gave your life for our salvation. I thank you, Lord. And I pray, Lord, that this life you gave for everyone, that everyone might receive it from you. I thank you in the wonderful, glorious name of Jesus. Amen. This life is for everyone. And if you have a question, and if you want to say, I want to receive Jesus in my life, you can do it. The Lord will receive you. Hallelujah. Perhaps many might have prayed for you. Give your life to the Lord. Totally. Thank you, Lord. Amen. God bless you and have a wonderful day. There's a bit of tea and coffee and some biscuits. Stay around a little bit and you are welcome. God bless you. Have a wonderful day. Amen. <laughs>